Now, if you have your Bibles, turn them to Mark chapter 4. We're going to look at this a final section of this parable of the sower this morning. And uh, so we're going to read uh, the entire 32 verses. And what I'm going to do is kind of, for those of you that have been here, I'm going to catch, uh, catch you up, review you, uh, so that you're all on the same page. And for those that haven't been here, we'll be able to... Uh, Uh, hear what uh, uh, Jesus was saying of this most important parable. It's the first of his parables in all three of what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They all had a common source. And so these, uh, there's no wonder that all of the writers focused on this parable. And Jesus himself says that this parable is the key to understanding all of the parables. Now, this is important, as I told you, because at least 35% of Jesus' teaching was in the form of parables. And so as you read the parables, they can become a little bit confusing. And sometimes you think, well, what is exactly is going on here? And Jesus told his disciples, if you understand this one, the parable of the sower and the two that follow it, the subsequent ones, if you get it, you will have the secret or the mysterium of the kingdom. You'll know what it's about. And so uh, if you have your bulletin, you can look in your bulletin. Uh, All 32 verses are printed there. If you have your Bible, uh, you can look there. And so now hear the word of God. He began to teach beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into the boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. This is one of ten times he says, listen, or hear, or pay attention. He's he's over the top trying to get people to listen. Open your ears. Everyone is hearing, but not everyone is listening. Okay? Listen, he says. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. The birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell among rocky ground where it did not have much soil. Immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose and it was scorched, since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain, and others fell on the good soil. And other seed fell under the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And again he said, verse 9, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And now it breaks from the parable. Now the scene breaks and every author wants you to do this. Wants you to leave the seashore, leave the parable for a moment, and go into uh, some closed space with Jesus. Maybe they were under a tree. Maybe they were in a room somewhere. Uh, Maybe they were at a Starbucks. I don't know where they were. But it was just him and his disciples. And they said to him, look at verse 10, when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you it has been given the secret the mysterium of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables that indeed they may see but not perceive, they may hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, verse 13, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? 
And now, as they sit there with their uh, double espressos or whatever it was, he tells them the secret to the parables. Not only this parable, but every single parable. There's over 40 of them in the New Testament. It makes up, uh, well, it could be as many as 60, some scholars say. It might be 40 to 60 parables that Jesus used. And here's the secret. And if you get this, if this will soak down into your spirit and into your mind, then every parable, in fact, as we go through in the summer and look at these various parables, I'm going to bring us back over and over again and show you how you're to lay this secret over the top of all the others. Here he gives the explanation. He talks about the parable. I'm not going to read all these verses, but what he says is that the, par- that, that the kingdom of God is going to come, listen, in such a way that it is going to face opposition. Opposition from within, opposition from without. Some of the seed is going to fall by the side, some of the gospel message, the word of God is going to fall off to the side on the road where the ground is so hard that the seed doesn't even penetrate and the birds come and they snatch it up. And he said, and that's Satan robbing them of the truth of the word of God. And he said, some's going to fall among rocky soil. And he says, those are, are people where, you know, it springs up right away. Oh boy, I can't do enough. Give me a job in the church. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to do everything. They overpromise and they underperform. They have no root in themselves. And before too long, the pastors and elders in the church are calling, well, how come you're not at church? What's going on? Well, we're busy. And then after a while, they don't even return our calls. Or you see them in the grocery store and they run down one aisle to get away from you while we run down the other aisle to try to catch them. Immediately it springs up. Oh boy, I'm on board with Jesus. He's done so much for me. And then it's gone. Some falls, he says, among thorns. The thorns grow up. The seed grows up. But the cares of this world, the deceitfulness uh, of, of riches, the, the, the desire, he uses the Greek word epithemia, the, the over-desire for other things choke the word and so it becomes unfruitful. It, it can't produce. And then he says some falls on good soil and it does produce and it, it produces in a, a, a 30, 60, and, and, and 90 is not a, a way of saying, well, some people are going to bring this much and some are going to bring this much some are going to get this much no he's just saying it's going to be a super abundance of harvest 30, 60, 100 is a Hebraism to explain an incredible return on the effort okay so now jump down and look at where he goes with this in verse 21 he said to them as a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed not on a stand Nothing is hidden except it be manifest, nor is anything secret except it will come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Again, he says, pay attention to what you hear. With what measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who does not have, even that which he thinks he has will be taken away. So he talks in the parable in the first one of the sower. He says, we have a responsibility to care for the soil of our lives. Human responsibility. You must care for the soil. Not only are the soils he's talking about different kinds of people, but it's also us, our own hearts. Our hearts can have mixed soil. 
Who doesn't understand that? That we, can, we ourselves can have God's promises snatched away by Satan. They can fall on hard ground, on rocky ground, where, where we get all excited about something. We make all kinds of resolutions and commitments. I'm not going to do this or I'm going to do that. And then we quickly stop doing them. And we feel guilty and we feel destroyed. And then the cares of this world, they choke our own uh, uh, lives as well. And sometimes we're producing fruit, and there's fruitfulness. So it's for people, but it's also us. And the mixture and the tension. And this tension is what Jesus is getting at. The parable of the sower is about the tension that his kingdom is going to introduce into this world. And so then he talks about divine sovereignty. Look at verses 26 and following. We talked about this last week. The kingdom of God is if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, the full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he comes and puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. What Jesus is saying in this parable is the expectation of everyone including us today, but particularly back then. The expectation was that the kingdom of God was going to come like any other kingdom. It was going to come with a great warrior king on a great horse, and he was going to come charging in with the armies of heaven, and by miracles and by power and by glory and by might, he would overthrow the Romans, he would take away injustice, and, and the kingdom would sweep into the world like any other victory, like any other powerful army and victory. And Jesus is talking about a kingdom. And then he goes completely in a different direction, and he says, this kingdom, you don't get a warrior, you get a farmer. You don't get armies and, and war horses and chariots, you get seed. And you don't get a powerful, quick victory. It's not going to happen in just a few moments or a few years of battle. It's going to take long time. The painful, the agonizingly long time of agriculture slowly growing where the people who are planting the seeds are going to have to trust the great God in heaven to bring the life to those plants. What can we do? We tend the soil. We make sure that the weeds are cleaned out. We manage what we can. But at the end of the day, God is there. God is putting forth His power and His might. But it's going to be slow, agonizing. You're going to go to bed. You're going to wake up. You're going to look out and say, wow, what's, you know, it doesn't seem to be happening. Not much is going on there. Human responsibility, divine sovereignty. And now we get to our passage today, starting in verse 30. Now hear God's word as we finish this reading. And he said to them, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? This is the third of three parables in a row here that he's taught. What, shall, what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground, it is the smallest of all seeds in the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the heaven and the air can come and make nests in its shade. 
This ends the reading of God's word. This is his word. These parables are not merely moral lessons. They're not just lessons of how you're to be living and behaving and all that. Although they contain a lot of moral and ethical lessons, they're not about that. The parables, almost all of them, are about the king and his kingdom. They're about the king and his kingdom. They're not about us. They're about him. And what he's going to do, and of course we're involved because we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. And we struggle very often to understand this tension that exists. We want to see things happening. We want to see action going on. We want to see the changes, the transformation. And now he's down to this transformation. He talked about he talked about human responsibility. He talks about divine sovereignty in the second parable. Now he's down to radical transformation. What is that going to look like? What is the kingdom really going to look like in the earth? And he said it's going to start out small. It's not going to be overnight. It's not going to be a quick victory. So very quickly, here we go. Let me give you a three-part outline, and then we'll get into it, and and we can do this uh, quickly this morning. First of all, we're going to look at the beginnings of the kingdom of God, the growth of the kingdom of God, how it grows, and finally, the victory of the kingdom of God. So we're going to look at its beginnings, its growth, and its victory. In this first part, in verse 30, the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed when sown the smallest of all seeds. Now what he's doing here is he's using a proverbial saying. He's using a a proverbial usage of the word seed, particularly mustard seed, and particularly in the context of the Middle East. Now I don't have to tell you that we know that Uh, scientifically, that the mustard seed, although it's very, very tiny, about the size of a head of a pin, it's not the tiniest seed. There are seeds that are smaller. There are seeds that are so small, you can't even see them uh, with the naked eye. But this is not what Jesus is trying to get. He's not trying to be scientific. The Bible rarely, if ever, is scientific. That's not what it's about. And so he says... Not absolutely, he's saying the seed is not the smallest absolutely, but popularly and proverbially in our understanding, in our parlance, especially in the ancient Near East, that was the smallest seed. And so he's using it in a parabolic or proverbial way. He's saying it's tiny seed, small, unseen, almost, you can't see it. And singular, notice he uses a singular, he said this seed, not seeds as many, but seed as one. This one fragile, tiny seed is going to be sown. And this seed, listen, tiny, small, weak, insignificant, almost unseen, is going to change the face of the world. It's got that much life in it. It has that much power in it that it's going to change the entire face of the earth. 
That is what the kingdom of God is all about. It's not about just being morally nice, good people. Which is what we think it is. Oh, we'll just be nice people and everybody will notice how nice we are. The reality is you can go almost anywhere and find better people in other religions, better than you. Yes? No? Only this side over here? No, it's all of us. You can go anywhere. There are Muslims that are better than you. Morally and ethically better than you. There are Muslims, there are Hindus, there are Buddhists, there, there are Jehovah's Witnesses, there are Mormons, and believe me, if you know any Mormons, they are all better than you. They are the best people. If you want a religion where you can be a really good person, you should leave here and go there. Because you will be a good person. Amazingly good, genuinely good, remarkably good. I know people who don't believe at all, that don't have a religion, that are actually better than me. They're better morally, they're just better people. So what is up with that? What is going on? Jesus is saying, you know, my kingdom's not like everybody else's kingdom. My kingdom is different. It's small, it's weak, it's insignificant, often unseen. It's like a mustard seed. Jesus used this same analogy elsewhere uh, in a couple other places. He doesn't use it in Mark, but he uses it in Matthew and Luke. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you say unto this mountain, be removed, and it'll be cast into the sea. What he's saying is that it's, it's the, the power that is in the seed itself. That's where we're to look. And that's the difference, folks, between authentic Christianity, historic Christianity, and all the other religions and other ways that I've mentioned. There's nothing wrong with being ethically good and morally good. And In fact, I pray that we, truly, Christ the King, would become ethically and morally good, holy before the Lord, and so that our behavior does represent who we truly are. I pray that. And I want that for myself. But the reality is it's not about that. That is not what we look to. We look to the seed, to the one who has the power, the word himself. One commentator said this. Listen, this is, this is mind-blowing. It's beginnings. Think of it. It's beginnings. The kingdom of God, it's beginnings. When the Christian church was sown in the earth for God, it was all, listen, it was all contained in one room and the number of the names was but 120. Doesn't that send chills up your back? The kingdom of God began in hiding. It began in an upper room with the doors locked and shut and the number of the names, 120. And look where it is today. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're sitting here today, it's because one of those 120 remained faithful and produced fruit. Because it was passed on and passed on and passed on. Somewhere, somebody brought you to Christ. Yes? Yes, somebody brought you. You didn't just show up one day and say, I'm a Christian. Someone brought you. 
Somehow there was a journey. Maybe from the time you were born, your parents carry you to church and you never knew a day. It's what I pray for my grandkids, that they never know a day that Jesus Christ is not their Lord and Savior. But your parents still brought you. They brought you to me and I put water on you little guys. And don't think that's nothing. That's something. God marks you for His own and He tracks you down wherever you go. And that goes for all of you that have been baptized. Yes? Amen. That's what it is. God is faithful. It has small beginnings. What about its growth? Let's talk about that real quickly. This is the next part of these verses. When it is sown, it grows. It becomes larger than all the garden plants. He's talked about its beginning, but then something's going to happen. And if you know what happens to a seed... Uh, even, if, even if you're just a youngster in school and you, you know, seed has to actually die. And what happens to that seed? It dies and another whole life comes alive in that seed. The seed actually dies and something completely different starts to grow. But the life was in that seed, in the death of the seed itself. When it is sown, it becomes larger than all the garden plants. What he's talking about here, again, he's using this contrast of smallness and largeness. He's saying that it is larger than any other plant. You know, if you've seen a mustard seed, I did actually go look uh, on the internet, thank God for Google, or you would never have a sermon. I, I, I googled mustard uh, plant, and mustard plants are an herb, and, and you know we get mustard from them, and, and they grow in the Middle East and uh, different places, and they, they are small bushes, uh, but when they're, when they're healthy and they grow really good, they can get as high as 9, 10, 12 feet high and have big branches, but they're not the biggest tree. So he's not, he's not talking literally or absolutely. He's talking metaphorically. He's saying little plant, little seed, little uh, sown in weakness, but it grows and it becomes, wow, it becomes a big tree, expansive. And its growth is certain. It's not just maybe going to grow. It will grow. And there's two, actually two parables. Uh, again, Matthew and Luke have this parable along with the one of the yeast and the bread. You all know that one uh, where he says, the kingdom of God is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour uh, till it was all leaven. Now those of you who know how to make bread, some of you ladies and some of us men, we do know how to make bread, although we shouldn't eat bread. Uh, We do know how to make it. And in order to make bread, you know, you need a a typical bread. You need yeast because the yeast is going to do its magic to the flour and all that stuff. And so when Jesus uses this example, he's talking about growth with respect to the mustard seed. But when he uses yeast, which we won't look at later on, that's attached to this one in the other Gospels, he's talking about its pervasiveness. Mustard seed being uh, uh, an, uh, uh, an allusion to outward growth and spreading out and yeast being uh, pervasiveness. It's going in and spreading to every single part saturating. The fruit is the result of the seed. One commentator said, the end is implicit in its beginnings. The infinitely great is already active. You know, active yeast. In the infinitely small, the mustard seed is this outward growth. The yeast is inward growth. Pervasiveness. All penetrating. Assimilating. Going in 
to your innermost parts, taking root and building, building, growing, growing, but it's agonizingly slow. We want transformation immediately. And there are certain things, when I became a Christian at a young age, I, I won't go into all that, we don't have time, but anyway, it was not a pretty picture, but I did become a Christian, and God saved me, and, and a lot of things that I struggled with, they went away, right away. And other things that I thought were going to go away, my expectation was I'm going to be completely, I'm going to be another person, and that is true in one sense, but there was all this other stuff that I had to work out in my life. And some of it, I'm 62 years old. Now, I know I only look 30. But the reality is I'm older than I look. And, and, the, and the fact of the matter is it has taken years and I still struggle with certain things. So it's pervasive, but it's there. I know it's there. I know that it's percolating. I know it's working because when I still, when I return to those things, I have, I have a, a strange conviction that it's not right, that it doesn't fit me any longer, that that's not who I am. And so I resort to the Holy Spirit and to the Word to drive those things out of my life and to embrace other things. Listen to what the prophet Isaiah said about this very thing. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none other like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, ancient things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish my purpose. So shall my word be that which goes out of my mouth. It shall not return void, but accomplish everything that I purpose and shall succeed in the king for, to, to the thing for which I sent it. Do you know what he was talking about? Isaiah was talking about in these two verses. Do you have any idea? Starts with a K. And ends with an M. Kingdom. He was talking about the kingdom of God. He was saying, I have said something about my king. And I've said something about my kingdom. And by golly, it's out there now. It's in. It's pervasive. It's going to go down. It's going to soak in. And it's growing and it's building and nothing's going to stop it. It will not return to me void. Your whole lifetime may grow and all you'll ever see is the ground starting to break a little bit over the top of that plant. It may take generations for the thing to sprout. But don't worry. I have said my word. It will happen. Heaven and earth will pass away. Jesus had the temerity to come along 750 years later and say heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. And guess where you find that verse? Matthew 24. And guess what he's talking about? It starts with a K and ends with an M. The prophet said it. The Old Testament says it. Jesus said it. The apostles talked about it. This is what the kingdom is like. And every parable, so much of Jesus' teaching has to do with this very thing. In fact, I'm going to try to show you that every parable he taught and talked about was tied to this reality of the kingdom not coming like we expected and not growing like we think it ought to and that our disappointments and our suffering and our pain in this life is okay. We can endure it. We can endure the thorns. We can endure the rocky soil. We can live through it. He didn't come so that we wouldn't have to do it, but so that we could. And do it with glory and with joy and with true sorrow and lament. 
and trust Him the whole way and not turn our backs and shake our fists like we were sprung up in the morning and by the afternoon we're withered away. No, we hang on no matter what. Why? Because He's promised and He's faithful. My word will not return void. And finally, okay, we looked at its beginnings and its growth, but what about its victory? This is so amazing. I hope I can get it across in the next couple minutes. If I can't, please forgive me, but I'm going to try my best. So listen carefully. It puts out large branches so the birds can make nest in its shade. He's talking about this tree, this great tree that is going to grow up and provide refuge, nurture, a nesting place, a place of peace, a place of safety, a home, shade, from the scorching heat of the sun. I, you know, we were out in our yard working yesterday in the middle of the day. The heat was brutal. It was unbearable. And, uh, you know, uh, we worked hard in our yard. The, the scorching of the sun, it's oppressive, isn't it? Even though here in the desert it's not so bad because a little breeze and you go, thank God, thank God, thank God, keep it going. Keep it. You know, the breeze helps here. And they would have understood that. We need shade. You know, you can walk from the heat to the shade. And you, and you can, you know, if you're in Florida, I lived in Orlando for six years, you could go from the sun to the shade to the here, there. It could be raining. It's all hot. You're wet all the time. At least out here, we get a little breeze. We cool off. What is he talking about? What is the kingdom like? It's like this tree that grows up and becomes expansive. He's making an allusion to something that we have known about for a long time, but we kind of, we, we, we mythologize, we turn the book of Genesis into a cartoon with an apple tree and a snake coiled around the tree and two naked white people. Standing under the tree. And don't, don't let that slip by you, they're naked white people. And the snake is talking. We mythologize God's Word and we make it a cartoon. And that isn't what the story is all about. The story is about Satan and about human beings, those two in particular, and they probably didn't look anything like GQ magazine and uh, Vogue. The allusion is to the ancient Near East. The literature of the ancient Near East is full of these images. In fact, you can still see them today. Carvings in the pyramids, carvings uh, in the Hittite and and Sumerian uh, tablets, some of which ISIS has destroyed, sadly, but many of which are in the British Museum or in other museums around the world, even some here in the United States, of these cosmic, sacred trees. The tree of life. The idea that trees were conduits between heaven and earth. That is the whole story of Genesis. It's as plain as the nose on our face, and we need to quit making the Bible a cartoon and read it the way they would have understood it in the ancient world and then bring it into this world. He's talking about these sacred trees, and these trees represented life. They represented the the intersection between heaven and earth. 
And God would, would be present. His presence was represented by a tree. Because all the great kings and potentates of the ancient Near East would have built beautiful gardens like the garden that Nebuchadnezzar built in Babylon. And they would have gone and strolled through their gardens with glorious trees and the fruit hanging. And there they would have met with their lovers. And they would have had made, made sweet love in the cool of the garden. Or they would have taken a stroll with their ministers and with their government officials and talked about, guess what they would talk about? The business of the kingdom. How can we expand our great empire? How can we be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with more trees? Trees of life. These trees in the ancient Near East represented wisdom and truth. And God's present. His presence. And you read about them in the book of Daniel. The Holy Spirit says this. Talking about the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian kingdom that Nebuchadnezzar had built and that God had foreordained before the foundation of the world that it would be this great kingdom. And it says this about that kingdom. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit abundant. It it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heaven lived in its branches and all flesh was fed. From it. Do you see? The kingdom of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, the allusion to this great tree where heaven and earth intersected in God's grace. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was wicked. He didn't listen to Daniel. And so Daniel told him, Change your ways before it's too late because if you don't, this tree's going to get cut down to only a stump. Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen, and you know the rest of the story. Uh, He did go insane, and the tree was, the Babylonian Empire did collapse, and he was restored, but it was never the same. And years before that happened, Isaiah, talking about his kingdom, about God's kingdom, Isaiah said this, On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. In its shade, the branches of the birds of every sort will nest. Now, I've only given you these two. That's in Isaiah, or in Ezekiel, excuse me. And he's talking about the restoration of the kingdom after the return from Babylon. Ezekiel, I'm sorry. What's going on here? Jesus is using something that everybody would have understood. The kingdom is going to be like that tree. It's going to be like a tree. That is a sacred place. The kingdom, a sacred place. Rather than an isolated, listen to what one commentator said, Dr. John Walton. Rather than an isolated tree that happens to be in a garden, they provide all that God has to give. He is the source of life, which is given by Him and found in His presence. That's why He told Adam and Eve, come to this tree in the garden, the tree of life. You can eat from any tree in the garden. Only this other one don't eat from this tree. 
It's the source of life. He, listen, He is the center of order and wisdom and the ability to discern that order. We make a mistake to think simply about magical trees in a garden paradise. It's about the presence of God on earth. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's about God's presence on earth and the relationship with Him that that tree makes possible. Do you see it a little bit? I hope I'm able to get it across. The tiny seed, folks, let me finish with this. This tiny seed sown in Galilee by a carpenter turned preacher into the soil. Now listen, into the soil of a group you could not have gathered 12 more misfits than what Jesus did to gather uneducated fishermen, despised tax collectors, revolutionary zealots, political activists, self-serving opportunists. Does any of that sound familiar? It should. He had people from green states, red states, blue states. He had people from Mars. Venus, he had them all. He had every kind of weird person, even somebody who would betray him. There were actually 12 of those. Amazing. He took, he didn't just look for all Republicans to be on his team. Or half Republicans have to. No, he went out and found some some people from the NRA, gun-toting zealots. People that wanted to live in the mountains and, and drill wells and you know be off the grid. He found them all. And he gathered them all together. Some could read, some couldn't read. Some were wealthy, some had no money at all. He gathered this group together. And his word took root in their lives. It grew phenomenally and has provided life, forgiveness, refuge, and hope to millions over 2,000 years and us in this room today, thanks be to God. We're here today. You're here today. Any kind of hope or joy or love or life that you're experiencing today is because of them and that root and that seed and that plant and that kingdom. How do we know? Because Jesus said it Himself. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What's he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. The Apostle Paul explains it so that we, living now in this world filled with tension and the growth is so slow and so frustrating and so agonizingly unapparent at times and we can be, our expectations can be so unmet and we just get frustrated with everything around us. Here's how we know. The Apostle Paul said this, In Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Each in his own order. Christ the first fruits. You see, he's the one that sprouts from the ground first. 
He is the great tree. He is the ladder of Jacob. He is the one who, the conduit who connects heaven to earth. He is the cosmic person, the cosmic reality of God's presence, God's kingdom, God's love, God's grace, God's fruitfulness, all of it for us. That's Him. He is the first fruit, the Apostle Paul says. Then at His coming, those who belong to Christ, when the consummation comes, all of us are going to be gathered to Him. Then comes the end when He delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, after destroying every rule and authority and power. So it is, my friends. Listen, Paul is speaking to you. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown perishable is raised imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. What is sown in weakness is raised in power. What is sown natural, a natural body that will die is sown and raised a spiritual body never to perish, never to die. Why? Because Jesus took your place and my place on that tree of life. The cross is your tree of life and my tree of life. It connects heaven and earth, just like our little kids learned in VBS this week. What was the bridge, kids? What's the bridge that connected heaven and earth? The cross. We learned that in VBS. We heard the gospel in VBS. He connects heaven and earth. He is the cosmic king. The one who connects all things. And he went into the ground bearing our sin, our guilt, our shame. And when he rose, it was all left there. And that's the life that we have to live now. One free from sin, free from slavery, free from shackles that bear us down so that we can grow and build the kingdom of God. Will you trust him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you so much for the glory of your son, Jesus, our great king, who was sown in weakness, dishonor, shame, covered with our sins, bearing the iniquity of us all on that tree of life. And when he rose from the grave, all of our death and destruction was left there and shall be there forevermore. Father, help us live in the reality of that great victory, that the kingdom of God is the very place where we will find refuge for our souls. Help us, save us, have mercy on us, O God, according to your grace. I pray through Christ our Lord. Amen.